0: You're listening to the Alternative Investment Podcast. We give you the insights and strategies you need to grow your wealth with alternative investments. Now, here's your host, Andy Hagens.
1: Welcome to the Alternative Investment Podcast. I'm Andy Hagens, And today we're talking about how to launch your own ETF. If you're listening to this, it may never even occur to you. That you could launch your own etf but actually now you can and joining me today is springer harris head of etf solutions at tucrium springer welcome to the show
0: thanks for having me andy appreciate it
1: and i do think this is a super intriguing topic because increasingly when i bring sponsors on the show or when i'm looking at different sponsors more and more I'm finding that they're, I don't want to say wrapper agnostic, like a, obviously different sponsors will often specialize in certain wrappers, but an increasing number of asset managers and sponsors will have a strategy or multiple strategies that they release under multiple product wrappers. So I don't know, maybe there's a trend of, you know, I may have a private fund, but now I'll have a private REIT or may, maybe a publicly traded read, or now I'll have an ETF. So it's just really interesting to me that a lot of the friction is being removed you know, from some of these product wrappers. And I know Tucrium is a big part of that in the ETF space, but why don't we step back and just talk about alternative ETFs, ETF launches? Um, it seems like there's been a tremendous amount of activity with ETF launches and especially alternative ETFs in the past 12 months. Is that the case,
0: Springer? It is. Yeah. Um, you know, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, you you have a great podcast and I, you know, I've been working in alts my entire career. So this is a space that is generally, um, not focused on as much as it should be. Um, and it's where I've dedicated, um, my entire career in finance. And so it's, it's really exciting to be here on your podcast. And so thank you for asking me and coming on. Um, the ETF industry is definitely in a boom stage. In um, 2022, we had a record number of ETF launches. There were about 450 new ETFs that wow. launched in 2022. And the thing that I think you'll find most interesting is, is 20% of those were considered alts. So when I pull that up on my Bloomberg, I look at what came out in 2022, put it down into its sector, 20% are gonna fall into the alternative space. Those might be managed futures, they might be commodities-based, They might be single stock ETFs. single stock ETFs were a huge um, focus uh, in 2022, um, as well as uh, cryptocurrencies, um, I'm sure as you're aware. So there's a lot of managers that do want to use the ETF as a way um, to bring their investment strategy to market. Now, I will say the 2022 Um, was also a very healthy year for fund closures. There was about a three to one ratio. Uh, so for every three ETFs that launched, one closed. Um, having that sounds
1: about right. I mean, Springer, that sounds about that just intuitively.
0: It's a healthy, it's a healthy ratio. I think it's a really healthy ratio. Um, the the, the financial pundits call them zombie funds. And so it's really good for non-performing funds that have less than five or $10 million in them um, to be purged out of the marketplace. Um, so it's a, it's a really healthy place. And I think it's a sign that the ETF marketplace um, is is strong. Now, something that when i was looking at the stats when i was preparing for this conversation the thing that excited me the most was that in 2022 29 new etf issuers came to market whoa i, so don't I was going
1: that's spring i was going to ask you know <laughs> with all those launches are these you know existing etf issuers that are beefing up and extending out their product offering or these brand new entrants cuz we've had a couple uh, liquid alt you know alternative etf sponsors on the show and these are products that are from the past 16, or excuse me, 6, 12, last 18 months. So it sounds to me like there's a lot of, I call them boutiques, you know, boutique ETF issuers. It sounds like that's a big part of the growth here.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah, I... I look at it and I say, okay, 29 new brands. These are new branded ETFs, companies that may have had an existing brand, but they may be completely new um, phrases, terms, brands that no one's ever heard of before. Mm-hmm. Took the leap to come into the ETF space in in 2022, and that's what really that's a 12% increase, mind you, over 2021. So 2022 had a very healthy increase in the amount of new ETF issuers that came to market. And the thing that excites me there is you yes, Tucrium launched ETFs in 2022. So in some of those new launches, Tucrium was there. But Tucrium also helped two new issuers who had never launched an ETF come into the marketplace. Mm. And a new ETF entrant is going to be the company that moves the industry forward, that evolves the wrapper, that brings something new to the market space, marketplace and challenges the existing issuers and sponsors in the space to adapt. And that gets me really excited because back in 2009, that's who we were. 2 oh, yeah. was a new brand, a new entrant. And so to see aspiring entrepreneurs, be they maybe a large company that is deciding to launch their new first ETF or just an individual asset manager that wants to go with this route, it gets me really excited because I, I really view them as an entrepreneur coming into a new space. Um, ready to push the boundaries of what the ETF can do, and so of everything that happened in 2022, uh, I believe that the number of new entrants to the space is is really the key the key indicator of the health of the marketplace.
1: Totally, and you know we had Sal, you know the founder of Tucrium on the show in an earlier episode. I'll make sure to link to that in our show notes here. We had a great conversation, but I forget the the verbiage that we used, but we were like, you know, because. I at the time when Tucrim was launching, it was right around the time ETF database, Jimmy and Michael and I, we we had launched ETF database. And I remember some of those new products being very exciting. And I I looking back, I'm thinking that was like the second wave of ETF issuers, you know, depending on yeah. how you define it. But let's just let's just say for the sake of argument, that was like the second wave feels like now we're in maybe like the fourth wave and this is like a, a new generation of entrepreneurs, like you said, and you know, like, like with startups, a, a high percentage of them don't make it, but at the same time, the percentage of them that do make it will be challenging the status quo, creating value for everyone. And so I, I think you're precisely right. Like these are the, you know, the new ETF launches in many cases, these are the very unique products that represent change, pushing the envelope. And it's also interesting that we really haven't seen mm, as much consolidation as I would expect, which I like. I mean, I love just having that variety in the marketplace. And it sounds like two of the issuers that brought their very first product to market either last year or last 12 months were working with Tucriam. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the Tucriam white label program or how Tucriam is helping new entrants to the space launch their first ETF?
0: Absolutely. And I I think, you know, looking at your conversation with Sal um, about a month or so ago, uh, you guys described it as the Wild West. And while we weren't the first ETF, you know, to come out by any means, we were in that second stage where if you wanted to bring an ETF to market, your only option was to build an ETF company. So you had to build, you had to be an entrepreneur to build an entire company before you could bring your asset management strategy to market. And now you don't have to do that. You don't have to set up the entire basis of a whole company in order to bring an ETF to market. You can hire what's called a white label firm that uses their existing platform and they share that platform amongst many different product managers, sponsors, um, You know, any type of asset manager who wants to bring a strategy into the ETF wrapper. And they can share expenses and they share experience to bring that product to market. They don't, and they no longer have to build an entire company to do that first. And so Tukrium, um, we started ETF Solutions in 2021 as a response to issuers or potential issuers coming to us and asking us um, for assistance. Tucriam, as you've been in your conversation with Sal, I, I just recently watched it and Tucrium was founded because an ETF issuer was asking for assistance with Sal's expertise. That's how the company started.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, since we started, we've had people come to us and ask us about milk ETFs, rice ETFs. And if you can name a commodity, someone has probably come to us and asked us about it. And we've always had an open door policy. We've always wanted to help people understand what it would look like to launch an ETF. They can learn from our experience. Uh, but what we never did was really have the desire, the underpinnings to help someone do it. And in 2021, we were approached um, by a group with a, a very complex strategy that couldn't find anyone to help them do it. And and we said, this is this is our market. This is this is the market. The market is moving towards alternative investment ETFs. And right now, there's probably three companies in the whole industry that could do what Tucrium's doing. And we're the only one that actually provide those services to other issuers. So we're really excited to take the knowledge that we've gained and the experience that we've gained as a as an ETF issuer that had to build our own company, mm-hmm. and now have the ability to help asset managers focus on their strategy and not focus on how to run an ETF and how to build an ETF.
1: Because I, you know, if reading between the lines, I think what I'm hearing is implementing an investment strategy. You know, if it's active management, managing the portfolio, or just designing that strategy, that's that's hard enough. <laughs> you know, that's already that's a hard challenge. It's hard to, you know, it's it's just not easy. But then there, but just managing an ETF, issuing an ETF, there's a whole stack of technical processes that need to take place Absolutely. to actually issue, manage the ETF. And the, you know. You don't necessarily conceptually speaking there's no reason why a, an asset manager or a sponsor who has a great strategy that could um conceivably have an etf there's no reason that every single person needs to reinvent the same darn wheel right the same because yeah. a lot of it is you know and i remember this even you know working with michael and jimmy back in the, in the days when we ran etf database a lot of the, may I say, the 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 geek speak. A lot of the technical aspects of ETF. Is, you know, it's interesting, but at the same time, I didn't always follow. I didn't always follow all of it. And if I'm being honest, sometimes it might put me to sleep. You know, some of the more the point is is somebody needs to do those details, Absolutely. but not everybody needs to do every detail, right? Yeah. So. Now this was, but before we recorded, and you know, in the weeks leading up to this recording, you and I have been emailing back and forth and talking about this. We want to break down how to launch an ETF and kind of simplify it. So any any asset managers who are listening, if you haven't launched an ETF before, uh, whether or not you decide to launch one, at least you'll have an understanding of kind of the basic timeline, the basic steps and phases to do it. So uh, Springer, why don't you walk us through? the three phases to launching an ETF?
0: Absolutely. And and this is a question that we get um, a lot. Uh, Asset managers come to us, they come, you know, they find me through our website, LinkedIn, and they simply want to know, how do I do this? And the first place that I always start is you have to have a good idea. Um, You have to have a novel idea, something that is not already being implemented in the marketplace, something that people are going to be excited about. Uh, There are over 2000 ETFs in the marketplace. And so yours has to stand out somehow. You can't just build a better mousetrap and expect that money is going to flow into it. The alternative to having something that's new and novel is converting something that already exists and you want to put it into an ETF wrapper. So maybe that's a hedge fund, a mutual fund, an LP, something that you already have investors in and that you'd like to wrap into an ETF because you think that that would provide um, better access to your strategy. And,
1: and fr- a friend of the show, Jim Atkinson, I think I, to Credit Where's Credit's Due, when you mentioned converting an existing product, my business partner, Jimmy Atkinson, his, his dad... Jim Atkinson, we call him Big Jim. He had the first mutual fund to ETF conversion in history, I believe. So there are folks converting mutual funds into ETFs. What what are the other products that are sometimes being converted into ETFs? Is it all mutual funds or is there anything
0: else? Uh, Hedge funds can be converted. um, LPs, uh, separately managed accounts. Okay. Um, You know, really any, especially in the alt space, anything that's holding commodities futures, you know, they have the right liquidity um, that match for the ETF. And that's something that Green would do. We would look at a strategy and we would tell you right from the beginning, would this work in an ETF or not or what changes would be we make? Well, but- is
1: that in Springer, you know, thinking about it, it, it's like that almost seems right off the bat, like a higher proportion chance of success. Absolutely. If I, if I already have AUM, I already have client dollars. It's basically just a matter of uh, selling. These clients on the conversion, right? Because they, they, you know, we want to get them to agree when we do the conversion that they're gonna, okay, I'll buy the ETF instead, or you know, we'll we'll cash out of this or convert this Mm -hmm. into an ETF. So that's that's kind of a less risky way of going about it. If you already have clients, assets, AUM, and a strategy, but but there's other clients coming to you that basically just have an idea or strategy.
0: Correct. And Correct. And,
1: th- and those are the ones where you're kind of challenging them, almost like a uh, shark tank, or you're saying, Hey, pitch us on why this should even exist. Is this really going to stand out in a crowded marketplace?
0: Yeah. And what I would say is that that evaluation process, there really are, th- there, you know, there are three steps to launching an ETF. There would be evaluate your idea and then, you know, put it through the regulatory process and get approval for it, launch it and then manage it. And that first, the the second two, to launch and manage, those are mechanical steps that Tuukriam has been working on for over a decade. Those are the details that you were talking about that the geeks understand and that we understand really, really well. It's the first point where you're evaluating, is my strategy suitable for an ETF wrapper? And is my strategy suitable for the marketplace? That's where you wanna have a partner who can help you evaluate that. And the thing that sets Toucrium apart is that we've been doing that for ourselves for the last 14 years. So the the same way that we might have an idea internally, I might come up with an investment idea, one of my coworkers comes up with an investment idea. We challenge that idea internally until, we have poked every hole in it possible because so, we what were-
1: Springer, how many? I just have, now I'm thinking and I'm racking my brain. I'm thinking, well, Tucreum has what eight, nine, or 10 ETFs, and how many commodities are there in the world? You, how many ETFs have you shot down internally over the years? It must be a ton.
0: I've built a lot of ETFs that have never seen the light of day, <laughs> and you know, we've run a lot of tests, we've run a lot of strategies, um, yeah. and and we really think about it, and that's what we want to help other ETF issuers do. We do not, you know, if you're a prospective issuer, we have no interest in taking your startup fee and seeing an ETF fail. We only want funds on our platform that thrive. We want to help partners succeed and we don't want to see anybody waste limited resources and capital. And so you,
1: you, you all help with that phase then with the, uh... With the product market fit, or you know, I, I would almost call it a marketing fate, you know, because you're trying to determine is there a market for this or how do you create the market? And so what portion, I guess, externally then, when a potential client comes to you with their idea, you basically try and fare it out up front. If we if we don't think there's a fit, we won't even we won't even try and sell you on this. We want to determine if we think that the, the market will even accept this idea before you even start the rest of the process, which, you know, obviously is time and costs associated with it.
0: Correct. And we're also, we're, we're, we're evaluating the strategy itself to say, can the strategy, can it be wrapped into an ETF? Will it get approved? Mm-hmm. Then, what do we think, which no one has their crystal ball, do we think that it can raise assets? And that's everybody putting their heads together. How would we market this? How would we structure it? Really planning for success in that stage. And then the other piece is, is determining that the this ETF issuer that has the idea, do they have the financial underpinnings to support the ETF? So that what,
1: is- what, is, what does that mean? So I actually had a question all around that. Is that just... Obviously, there's annual expenses where until it hits a certain AUM, it's, it's going to be a loss leader. But you also have to have a certain amount of like uh, liquidity that you provide to the market from day one. Is that what that means? Or I guess, what, what do you mean in terms of like working capital or what have you?
0: What I mean specifically is that it, this, comes, this comes as a surprise for um, managers who are thinking about launching an ETF is how much it costs to run one. And so I can run someone through the startup costs that might be somewhere between 100 and 200,000 depending on how complex the structure is. And now that's not hundred or $200,000 to two grand. There's a lot of people, a lot of lawyers, things like that that get paid in this, in, in this process to bring the fund to market. But that's not where it stops. We need to make sure that a, and really a sponsor needs to ask themselves when they're planning for this, that they're planning to support an ETF for three years. And so the it might take somewhere between, depending on the complexity of the strategy, three hundred thousand to five hundred thousand dollars a year to run an ETF. And I would want wow. a sponsor to make sure that they've asked themselves, are we committed to this structure to do it for three years? Because there might not be instant success. We want there to be, we hope that there will be, but there might not be. Two cream, has had some funds within the first three months that are close to $100 million. We've had other funds that we've managed for over a decade that n- haven't reached over $50 million. And so you, we need to... What I try to do is I help sponsors understand where they need to be at different phases of the life cycle. And the first stage of the life cycle is reaching break even. And so... so break-
1: uh, yeah, that that depends on an expense ratio, right? Though, Because I'm yes. thinking different ETFs have wildly... I was trying to do some math in my head. I'm thinking, okay, 50 million in AUM or 100 million in AUM. That's going to be so different for a Vanguard ETF. What's uh, you know an ER expense ratio of uh, what, whatever five basis yeah. points or something? Yeah. But uh, but a lot of these more boutique ETFs have much higher expense ratios. Is that right? I mean, they're still low in the great yeah. in the grand context of asset management. They're still low. But if it's a 50 basis point or 75 basis point or a hundred basis point expense ratio, that's actually fairly high in the world
0: of ETFs, right? Yeah. Your alternative investment ETFs are, if you stack them against all 2000 in the marketplace, they're going to be at the top for expense ratios. Um, but when you look at what they charge compared to the other structures that they might be in, mm-hmm. mutual funds, ETFs, separately managed accounts, um, they're sometimes a fraction of what could be charged, like and a so- like a
1: hedge hedge replication ETF might have a 100 basis point or even 120 basis point expense ratio. Yeah. Compared but a, to a hedge fund, is going to be 3x or 4x. that exactly. That fee, right. Okay.
0: Exactly. So in this range of higher end expense ratios, um, and um, more. They're they're harder to run. Alternative ETFs are harder to run, which by nature makes them more expensive to run. Your yeah. breakeven is going to be somewhere between 30 million and 50 million dollars. So you have to have 30 to 50 million dollars in assets invested into the ETF before the issuer is able to make a profit. And that is a sobering moment for many potential sponsors. Is to talk about where that breakeven point is, where your first goal is. And that you need to be prepared to support your strategy for three years, because we don't know if success is going to come. We don't know if break even is going to come in the first year if you're not bringing assets from another product in directly. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something that we work with, and that's the entrepreneurial side. That's one entrepreneur talking to another entrepreneur to be frank and upfront about the challenges that it ta- that it that there are to entering a new marketplace, but then explaining that we're here to help through every stage of it. We're here to to guide you through that process to do much of it, but we just want to make sure that you understand and that there are no um, uh, unrealistic expectations of what it takes to bring a fund to market. And again, these numbers using a white label service are much cheaper than what it was for Tucrium when we first entered the space. In two, in you know, in 2009, 10, you had to have a couple million dollars to set up your company just to be able to launch your first ETF. So when you talk about being in the fourth or fifth stage of ETF evolution here, I mean, the access um, and the ease to launch one really has become democratized. Mm-hmm. And I will say that a, a, you know, sort of your plain vanilla equities ETFs um, can be launched for a lot cheaper than this. I mean, we're talking about alternative ETFs, things that push the marketplace, things that push the regulators, And that are um, very time-consuming and complex, both from a regulatory and an internal management perspective. How? how, uh,
1: Well, on the regulator point, how? um, Like, what's interesting to me is like the the Bitcoin spot ETF. You know, it's been like a couple years now. It's consistently in the news. How the regulators won't won't approve that, right? That I think it's just a Bitcoin futures ETF or whatever it is. Um, how often are alternative ETFs being denied by regulators? I mean, is that is that pretty common?
0: I don't know that there's any statistics on how often they're denied. I mean, there was a lot of attention on how many um, Bitcoin funds were denied. 2 Tukryum right. did get through. We got we got one through in the 33 Act space. A very unique fund, um, actually being referenced very heavily. Um, in uh, some of the lawsuits taking place with the SEC as far as spot Bitcoin futures. So, you know, what we were able to do and, and as far as, you know, we thought the SEC would go on something like that um, is being utilized uh, potentially up to the level of the Supreme Court to try to get the spot ETF um, to launch. So that, that's very interesting. Um, but it, I don't know about necessary in terms of flat denial, We've had funds denied from the SEC. And we, usually what happens if you have an idea and you want to wrap into an ETF and you first submit that to the SEC, the SEC might come back basically and just suggest that you pull your filing. And when the SEC suggests that you pull your filing, <laughs> that means stop, right?'re you you know it's you're like when the, it's
1: <laughs> like when the mafia uh, suggests
0: something, right? It's like and, it, you yeah. might want to take this advice and so you can you can decide am I going to push them <laughs> or not? Um, 2 cream green's been in that perspective where we said, we really want to push the market. We want to see what happens. The SEC says, stop. Um, you know, pull pull your filing. and and we have. Um, others choose sometimes to put a lot of time, money resources um, into pushing the SEC. Why would uh, you
1: do that? What Springer, why would you do that? Yeah. If the SEC says, Hey, I just want to let you know you're wasting your time. Why would you say no? I would like to continue to waste my. Is it just like a game of chicken? You want them to. You want them to have to formally deny it. So then, well, I think that's, a that's sometimes
0: sometimes a strategy is is a yeah. formal denial will um, indicate where the SEC stands on something. So you'll know how far you may be from um, approval and be in years or what needs to be changed. Um, other times, you know, we've. Two Cream has a lot of experience in this and both having funds that have um, been asked to, to not go through the approval process. And we've also been through very arduous approval processes for our original funds because they were very new, especially in the food space. And then secondly, um, in the the crypto space uh, as well as uh, the volatility space. I mean, these are very exotic markets mm-hmm. um, for the SEC to be approving products in. So we've, we've got a lot of experience there. And so we know we also know what to look for. We know what they will be looking for in terms of um, structure, liquidity, protecting investors. And so we've become very good at knowing beforehand would something um, make it through the process or not. And again, this is very detailed stuff in terms of how you go through that approval process with the SEC. Um, There are two different ways that you can register an ETF. I think you and Sal got into that a little bit, 33 Act versus 40 Act. And depending on which way you go, um, gives you some more um, more guidance with the SEC, but also some more um, uh, some more runway uh, for where you know how to get that through through the SEC. And, and this is something that we have um, a lot of experience with. And again, when we vet a product, we vet our own strategies, other people's strategies. Uh, it's something that we're looking at very closely because it is it is the it is the first stage of you know bringing an ETF to market.
1: So okay, phase one preparation, preparing to launch your ETF. This is covering, is their product market fit? If you're working with Tukram, they're gonna tell you whether we think that this can actually accrue enough assets. We're kind of gut checking, do we have three years of runway? Which is more entrepreneurial question. It's a good question though. It's like the same kind of question they would ask with angel investing or venture capital or private equity. We need to give this thing enough runway to succeed. And then uh, do we think the SEC will approve it? Or maybe how will they approve it? Uh, 33 act versus 40 act or, you know, how do we want to submit this? So, okay, let's, let's presume then that I've given you this great idea, Springer. It's the, it's the Andy alternative ETF, you know, awesome strategy. It's such a good strategy. I can't even tell you guys about it yet. Right. But it's a great strategy. We get it approved by the SEC. We make sure we have three years worth of runway all systems go, we're going to launch it. Tell us about phase two now. This is a real important day, right? You always want to make a good first impression. An ETF is only going to get one launch day. So walk us through what happens on launch day or on, a, on maybe even a successful launch day or, or what can go wrong.
0: Absolutely. So in that time period leading up, right, we've been talking for a couple of months. We did that gut check. We filed with the SEC. Filing with the SEC could take anywhere between 75 days and 180 plus, right? We get through that. During that time period, we know that we're going to get approval, right? We might have to change some things. We might have to work with the SEC a little bit, do this and that. But while we're doing that, we're setting up all the underpinnings for the ETF. We're establishing accounts with different service providers that you have to have. We are building the models to be able to actually manage these. I mean, you're talking about alternatives. Um, sometimes commodity futures, volatility futures, maybe they're not futures at all. They might be something different. Some other type of derivative. We're setting up how is the fund itself going to be managed on a day-to-day basis. All of this leads up, all these agreements, the prospectus, the website, the marketing, all of this leads up to launch day. But there's a really important day right before launch day that takes place in the background. No one sees it. And it's called the seed day. And the Mm -hmm. seed day is when the ETF gets its first assets. And usually those assets are um, provided to the fund by a market maker, a lead market maker, um, a company that has an agreement with your fund through the exchange that they will manage your product with a tight bid ask spread so that it it launches into the marketplace um, in a healthy manner. And what they'll do is they'll provide what's called the, the, seed, the seed for the fund. Might be 1 million, 2 million, $5 million, something that they're putting into the fund for a very short period of time. That comes in the day before. And Tucrium would take that money. Once that first create came in, they're called creates to bring money in, redemptions to take money out. The create comes in and Tucrium buys the assets for your strategy. So whatever that strategy might be, if it's um, you know a diversified commodities fund, we would buy all the different commodities that are in your strategy. And that you have to have holdings in order to have performance. And it's a really interesting thing is that when it starts trading the next day, it's trading based on the value of what's in your fund. That's what an ETF is made of. And so you have to have those in the fund in the first place.
1: You have to have underlying holdings and it's like chicken and an egg because how can I have underlying holdings on launch day? It hasn't launched yet. So you kind right. of you kind of quiet launch it off the exchange with a million so, bucks or two million correct. or five million bucks. And then now, I guess on launch day, now there's already 24 hours of <laughs> track so it's got record. it has
0: holdings. It had holdings. Yeah. It's value. Yeah. I mean, that's what we did, right? We established that the fund has value. And then the next day comes. And this is the really exciting part. This is the exciting part for the issuer, right? They might have thought about this idea two years ago, talked about it, found the capital to do it. Found us, we launched it, we got through all this process. And now it's launch day. you right. We might be we might have gotten you the opportunity to ring the opening bell at the New York Stock Exchange, your friends, your families, everybody there. You're up on the bell ringing. I've done it. It's one of the most exciting things that you can do. In well, finance. how do I
1: how do I get that opportunity, Spray? If you can get me that opportunity, I want an alternative investment podcast to ring the opening bell. So
0: we'll have to we'll sidebar on that later. I think we I'll, can do it. I think we okay. can do it. it. It is literally one of the most fun things that you can do in And so you've got that and you're standing there, you open the bell, your fund starts trading, right? Now, there's a lot going on on Tucriam's side. We're watching a lot of different things. We're watching bid-ask spreads. We're making sure that it opens. Now, if all goes well, this is a really boring process that no one wants to hear about. Sometimes it can get very exciting and we have to fix a couple of things and it might take 15, 20 minutes an hour maybe for the fund to actually enter into the marketplace. But once it does, it should honestly be a pretty, pretty boring process. Now, it what do we, what do we fixing? Is spreading. this,
1: is this like, uh, not necessarily bid ask spread liquidity stuff. You're talking more like the electronic plumbing behind it. Like the, exactly. the com- basically I imagine there's like a bunch of computer systems that are. Routing, okay. you know, and it, again, I don't need to know all the details. It sounds, it's like, it's like plumbing. It's like the, uh, the electronic it plumbing. Is.
0: Okay. It is, you know, you built your house and you turn the light switch on and you want it to work. Most of the time it does. That's great. Sometimes yep. it doesn't and you fix it and you fix it really fast. Yeah. And so you're there, you're celebrating two creams in the war room and we're really making sure that this thing comes to the market for you.
1: <laughs> is now- Sal in the war room with you? Is this all hands on deck? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you know, it, it, it used to be. And as we've gotten more efficient with all of our processes, um, it, it, is, it has become more of a, of a, of a less exciting um, process, which is good, which is, yeah, a, is a good that's thing. Good. Okay. Um, now this is the time that you know you're getting congrat you know—the issuer, the new sponsor, is getting congratulations from friends and family. Um, people are sending them pictures of their brokerage account. I bought five shares of your fund. I mean, we even do this, right? I mean, we yeah, launch yeah. Like we get so excited, we all buy shares in it. Um, we talk to people about it, and and frankly, this is the first time you, as the as the um, issuer of this new ETF, this is the first time you get to talk about it. When you file for an ETF, you're in a quiet period. You cannot speak about it. If you go out and pre-sell your fund, you talk about your fund before it's approved by the SEC. That that is a big no-no. And you can get in a lot of trouble for it. So you've been quiet. You're really excited now. And so your marketing's pumping, your LinkedIn's going crazy. You know, you're this is the fun part, right?
1: Now, are you allowed to talk about your own ETF? I mean, if 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 I'm an issuer, I've re- I've issued an ETF. Maybe I've worked with Tucrium to, you know, do all the plumbing and, and then help me, but my, am I allowed to talk about the ETF itself, but, or, or not, maybe I talk about the strategy or, or maybe I just, I shouldn't talk about performance. You know, I know you're not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. We're not giving anyone yep. legal advice here, but what's kind of the high? you know, when you have an ETF, what's the difference in terms of what I can say versus if I have a private placement, private equity fund, I, it's like, you know, I got a lot more leeway then, right?
0: Sure. There's, you know, it depends on how it would be structured. Um, from a regulatory standpoint. So we have a lot of different solutions for a issuer to talk about their fund. You might have to have me with you and you can talk about the strategy and I can talk about the fund. Um, You might already be a company that has your registrations as registered reps and therefore you'd be able to be a marketing partner in the fund and you'd be able to talk about the ETF itself. So there's a lot of nuances there and a lot of different solutions depending on um, how much responsibility an issue we want to take in that regard. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that comes along with a publicly traded fund is the oversight of your material, and your material also being the words that you speak. And so it's it's a heavy, it's heavily regulated. Um, and in the alternative space, you're probably going to also be regulated by um, regulators for um, commodities. So the CFTC, the NFA. And so you're going to have a lot of different parties, um, wanting to have some control over what you are and are not allowed to say. So,
1: so so, just, yeah, just to clarify then, you know, like Tucrium, if Tucrium doing releasing a brochure or a new website to promote a new fund that Tucrium is launching, all of that is essentially, uh, getting approved by the SEC or directly under the oversight. And there's probably lawyers looking at all that versus, you know, Springer, you can come on my show. We can talk about concepts all day long and there's no problem. But once you start talking about the actual product, you do have to be very careful. And it sounds like it's something that you coach your clients on to consider even in in that initial setup phase. Like let's consider how we want to structure this to then give you the ability or not, or or under what circumstances that you can talk about it later. Because to me, that's a shame. If I have a product that I love, I have my heart, put my heart and soul into it. And then it's like, I can't even talk about it. Like, yeah. you know, I'm a marketing guy. I'm a sales guy. How am I supposed to sell something if I can't talk about it, right?
0: Yeah, it is it is it is very hard. It can be frustrating. Um, but the best part is, is that there are a lot of creative solutions for it. Okay. Um, one of the best solutions is to have someone at cream stand next to you. So you can talk about, the things that you love, you talk about the strategy, you talk about the marketplace, you just can't say the ticker of the fund. Um, I'll talk about the ticker, I'll talk about the fund, and I'll talk about the performance of it. And so if we separate those two things, um, in you know, in a regulatory compliant way, uh, it allows um, issuers to be a part of the distribution of their product, which we want them to be. If you're an issuer, especially of an alts product, you're the one that knows your strategy, you know why you did it, you're the entrepreneur, you've got the passion behind what you did. And so we want you to be a part of that. You have to be a part of that or you know it's going to be harder to find success because it's just it's a product with no, with no life, with no soul. And so that's that's an important part that we always try to make that we can have happen for for our issuers. We want and, them to be able to talk about their strategy.
1: Totally. And I think now we're kind of getting into phase three, the post launch management. You know, you've already kind of referenced some milestones here. We want to make sure we have enough runway to last three years. And you know, again, these numbers all are dependent on the asset class strategy, expense ratio, all that. But we want to hit 25 million 50 million aum ultimately we want to probably hit 100 million or more in aum so what is this you know phase 3 you know so after launch day it's like the next 1000 days essentially right that these first yeah. these first key three you know these first 3 years these key 1000 or so days Absolutely. what are the key what are the keys to success here i mean is it is this mostly marketing or are you talking more about technical, operational type of types of things?
0: It really falls into three buckets. And so for the sponsor, for the issuer, it feels like you hit the finish line. You launch the product, it's out there, you hit the finish line. And for 2Cream, we just hit the starting line. We're thinking that we're going to operate this fund now into perpetuity forever. And each day comes along with pitfalls and risks That come along with it. Those might be regulatory, they might be operational, whatever they might be. And so what our job is, is to make sure that the processes are in place to keep that ETF running in a healthy and compliant way, day in and day out. That is the real grind. That's the hard part. That's where the expertise comes in. I, I really do believe that there are, an, at this stage in the game, there are enough structures out there that basically anybody can bring a fund to market if they want to. How to actually keep it in the market and stay compliant, that's the really difficult stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have well, to... Well, because
1: you, you, if you have to get to $50 billion in AUM, I have to do marketing. Yeah, so we I bring
0: it... No, you have to. And so we break yeah. it down into three buckets. You've got regulatory and compliance. You've got operational, operational considerations, which is both the management of the strategy itself and the management of the ETF. And then you have sales and marketing. And each one, they fit in with each other. Um, they, they have overlap. But your fund has to operate every day. Every day it has liquidity. People are buying and selling it every day. So you have to have a team of people who understand the underlying strategy and able to invest and divest assets for the fund every day and know how the plumbing of the whole ETF ecosystem works on a daily basis. Then an ETF has um, daily reporting, monthly, quarterly, and annual reporting requirements that it is a public fund. You have to give information to the public about your fund on those time periods. And that takes an immense amount of work. And so those two pieces together, the operational and then the, um, the compliance, the accounting, um, real critical parts, that's what runs the ETF. And you can run that perfectly. That, that machine can run in perpetuity, but you never bring in a new dollar which means all that's doing is costing you money. You're running a fantastic ETF. It's perfect. It's never had a regulatory issue at all. All of your <laughs> deadlines are hit. Awesome. Great. Thumbs up to everybody. You've made no money. You're losing money.
1: We You stayed out of
0: prison, but now you're dead broke, right? So exactly. one out of so two. So that third bucket is marketing. <laughs> that is getting out there and finding a strategy to reach investors, inform them about your strategy and then bring them into it as an investor. And that is, that is the hardest part. Everything else in the ETF industry has been done. No one to cream included has figured out the Holy grail for how to bring investors into an ETF. It's difficult. Um, it is, there are things that work. We've tried many things that don't, um, it is, it's the hardest part. And it's the part that no one can give you any guarantee of. You might launch a strategy and it might be the perfect strategy at the perfect timing. And you're the billion dollar, you know, unicorn in the first three months, or it might sit. We've had funds that have sat at 5 million for years and years and years while we tried to figure out the perfect investment case to bring investors into those funds. And so, that's where you really need to start to put your effort and time. And that's also where you need to be prepared all the way from the beginning of what your budget is there. That's that distribution can be in a very expensive process, and you just need to know what you're prepared to do from the beginning
1: so that is so interesting to me. I, I know we're almost out of time, but I want to ask a follow up there. And you know, you don't have to give me the secret sauce, so to speak, maybe just some broad ideas. But, and your experience then in marketing this product. And I mean, I'm a marketer at heart, I love finance, but I'm a marketing guy. So Springer, you've talked about Chukrium, you know, at this point, you know, you're kind of the old guard, OG in the space. You've tried all this kind of marketing, everything under the sun, it sounds like. What tends to work? What tends to not work? I'm yeah. honestly curious.
0: For us we're small, right? We've always been a small company. Uh, We've got limited resources. And so what we do is we've we've really developed what we think of as the sales funnel. Mm -hmm. And what we try to do is broad awareness at the top, make sure that as many people as possible know that this exists. And we invest dollars there until you reach a point of diminishing return. And so we've got statistics that can tell us, are you uh, are you, are you should you stop spending money there right that'll tell us when you've hit the point of diminishing returns if you haven't hit the point of diminishing returns there's no point in doing anything else other than to continue to build awareness then because start-
1: a lot of a lot of if if a retail investor is looking for a corn ETF and i didn't even know one exists oh boom this exists I might exactly. just go, I might just log e- etrade.com and buy it without talking to anybody on your team. Exactly. So, okay. Exactly. So that's, that's
0: the top of the funnel. Of Digital advertising, broad awareness, content creation is huge. Putting yeah. that out there to D- distribution of content and, and doing that efficiently. Okay. And then it's starting to get into platforms, having individual conversations with advisors, finding people who manage money, who um, are interested in this space and that self identify, frankly, as wanting to have a conversation with you. And there are strategies for trying to identify those people, having those strategies, working with them, converting them. Um, those those are sort of your tried and true methods. Bigger companies are able to hire dozens, hundreds of wholesalers to go out into the marketplace and tell their network and their geographic area about something. Um, this is not the area that Tucriam operates in. We've never been that scale we may never be that scale. And so, what we've done is, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, figure out how to use limited marketing budgets um, and take them as far as we possibly can. And usually, that comes from harnessing something very unique from the issuer, either our, us being the issuer or somebody else. What sets you apart? What's unique? Putting that into a story that is easy to tell, easy to understand and then distributing that story out as broadly and widely as we possibly
1: can. Well, totally. And Springer, I'm right there with you. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. And so, you know, I, I kind of like rooting for the little guy, all these boutique ETF issuer. They're, by the way, there's also some very high quality, large ETF issuers. Absolutely. Frankly, there's just a lot of value from top to bottom in the space. That's why ETFs are so popular. Yeah. But one thing I love about them is, you know, top level, there just aren't the gatekeepers in ETFs because, like, back to that retail investor or or advisor, independent RIA. If I'm searching for corn ETF or uh, you know agricultural commodity ETF, and then I learn this exists, there's no gatekeeper. I can go on my online brokerage account and I can execute. I can buy that ETF right then and there. Nothing else necessarily needs to happen in that you know sales process. So. To me, that's really cool. And then, and then on the other end, um, just they're not, you know, w- with other alternative products, I find increasingly some issuers are making the strategic decision that we're not going to focus so much on distribution and and forcing the product, you know, what you would call push marketing. Yep. What I like so much better is what you're talking about, pull marketing, which is I have a unique product with unique value proposition it's now my job i need to tell that story over and over and over as many times as i can and by the way it helps if it's a simple story if it's a complicated story retail investors and advisors tend not to remember it but if it's a simple story tell it as much as you can as consistently as you can as many places as possible especially where investors and advisors might find it by the way they're on google all the time searching for things so You know, even like a podcast is like this one, how to launch an ETF or whatever the title is. Like somebody might come across this two years from now, that kind of marketing, it creates the demand. And then it's, there's no gatekeeper in the middle. And that's, that's the beautiful thing to me. That's long-term equity. You have the unique product. You figure out how to tell the story. And then you've just, then, then, then the, you know, investors
0: are coming to you. The clients and customers are coming to you. The best thing you can do is, give value every time you speak. Try to teach someone something new. Try to educate as much as possible. We, we have found even with our own ETFs that we get more engagement when we talk about how ETFs work and how commodities markets work than we do when we explain the intricacies of the benchmarks inside the corn ETF. Right? Mm-hmm. Those are the things that people want, and you're seeing that online as well um, on people's LinkedIn accounts, on their YouTube. Give away the content. Give the content away for free. Capture the customer later. That is a is a is a it's a hard way to market. It's a lot of time and energy that goes into creating educational content to give people, but that's because it's value. Mm-hmm. If it was easy and it was cheap, then there wouldn't be much there, right? It would be and so consumers, investors are demanding education. And that's why I really do want to work. I want issuers of ETFs to be involved with it because they might have something new to teach someone. And you know, one of our one of our clients that we launched, they were trying to, you know, distribute their ETF and we told them, stop distributing the ETF and start distributing your education. And so they pivoted. They've got a fund, they've got an ETF website. And then they also have a education website where they only talk about their marketplace, nothing about the funds at all. The education website gets more traffic, Mm -hmm. but people know who they are because they've launched these ETFs. And so it's really about what value can you give away for free? And people love that; they really do. I'm sure you see it in your. I see it on my LinkedIn. I give away something valuable that someone might not know about how to launch an ETF, and it gets way more interaction than when I say, "Hey, I can help you launch an ETF."
1: Well, that's Springer. That's how we got you on the show. I think it was a LinkedIn post, and you posted something about how to launch your own ETF, and I'm like, "Well, I want to learn more about that." It's is exactly what you said. You know, Ashley Tyson, my friend Ashley Tyson, he calls it uh, "leading with a giving hand." You know, just this concept that. Um, if you deliver value, educational content, it's way to establish trust and yeah. to break through the noise and I'm big on simplicity, right? And so how to launch an ETF, like, uh, you know, even what we're talking about today, that's a simple story, pulls people in. Now they know who Tucrium is, if they didn't already. And, you know, next time they're thinking of this, they're yeah. they're going to Google you. They're going to head to your website. So it is long-term, but I think ultimately having that brand focus, story focus, content focus, it is a higher ROI in the long-term, but it requires long-term thinking 100%. Uh, Springer, this has been so incredibly helpful. I'm, I'm guessing that somewhere out there, the next issuer has been listening or watching this. Where can uh, they get in touch with you or where can they learn more about Tucrium ETF solutions?
0: Absolutely. If you go to tucreum.com on our website, you'll see the ETF solutions tab and you can schedule a consultation directly from there. Um, We, we, every meeting, every, any person who puts in a schedule consultation absolutely gets one. Talk about anything that you want in terms of launching your ETF. Um, I'll say one of my favorite conversations I had recently was a young guy about 22, 23 years old um, had just had a nice exit from um, a tech firm and he wanted to launch an ETF And, and I taught him everything that he needed to know. And what he needed to know was that he was not ready to launch an ETF. And that was, it was so exciting because now he knew what he needed to do for the next couple of years in order to be able to do that. And that's what we want to be there to do. We want to support other entrepreneurs, people that were just like us back in 2009, uh, have a great idea and don't know where to go. We want to be there to help you at um, at any stage of what that is. and so if if you have questions, you can find me on LinkedIn or you can schedule a consultation on the website or just give us a call. Um, we're a small team. It'll get forwarded right to me. and uh, we will we will help you start from where you're starting from.
1: Springer, I love that. the open door policy, and you know leading with a giving hand. I really appreciate your insights, and I'll be sure to link to um, you know the ETF solutions page and our show notes also linked to your LinkedIn. So, Everybody listening, watching, don't be afraid to get in touch. And Springer, thanks again for joining the show today.
0: Thank you for having me, Andy. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.